Welcome to Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge with your host, Carol McClelland-Fields. Within each show, Carol and her guests explore topics that give coaches, healers, and other change catalysts new concepts, tools, and insights that open up opportunities to flourish personally, professionally, and financially. And now, your host, Carol McClelland Fields. Hello and welcome. I'm Carol McClelland, your host. In this show, we are focusing on finding signs of hope in our changing world. If you're a coach, a healer, or other change catalyst, you'll find these insights to be useful to yourself and your clients. My guest today is Nancy Seibel. Throughout her life, Nancy's lifelong passion has been to help create a better world. After 30 years as a mental health counselor, Nancy established Keys to Change LLC to support the well-being of those service-centered professionals whose priority is to help others. Welcome, Nancy. I'm looking forward to our conversation about hope. Thank you, Carol. I'm looking forward to it, too. In our first conversation about this show, you talked about a fascinating concept called Department of Hope. Can you give us the backstory there? Yeah, I'd love to do that. So as you said when you were introducing me, I've always, as far back as I can remember, I've had this idea of creating a better world. And, you know, going as far back as I can remember, you'd laugh if I talked about what my ideas were then. As I got older, my ideas expanded beyond being allowed to have a cookie before dinner if I'm hungry and started taking in some of the bigger issues that were going on in the world around me. And so that really was the passion that drove me into the career I got involved in becoming a counselor and working for many years in nonprofit settings to help prevent child abuse and to treat those who have been affected by it and to work closely with professionals who are involved in getting babies and parents off to a good start in life which were the kinds of things I did in my uh, previous career before becoming Mm -hmm. a coach and a consultant. And in that career, in the course of it, I got this great opportunity to attend a meeting shortly after uh, the presidential election at the time in which hope had been a big theme of the election. And we were invited as a way to open up that meeting to talk about what we would do as a member of then-President-elect Obama to see what we would do if we had an unlimited budget to work with and could establish a department that would make a lot of difference. And so I was one of the last speakers, and I had the chance to listen to everyone put forward some really terrific ideas about addressing hunger and people with substance use disorders, improving education, improving health care, improving housing, all the things that are so important to people's lives. And I started thinking about how for each one of those wonderful ideas to succeed, we needed something very basic, which is hope. And so when it came to be my turn, I said that. I said, I would found the Department of Hope. And I think it sounded so naive and simple when I said it that we all kind of giggled. And I said, Mm -hmm. actually, I'm really serious because if we want to end violence, If we want to make a dent in the substance use problems, if we want to improve health, if we want to improve education, we want to end war, we all have to have hope. Without hope, none of those things are going to happen. 
So then there was a little moment of silence after which everyone raised their hands or a good number of people did and said, hey, can I have a job in the Department of Hope? <laughs> and so, that would be fun. <laughs> it would be fun. And I would have loved to hire every single one of them, too. It was a wonderful uh, group of people there uh, who would have done great things in the Department of Hope. But unfortunately, I did not have that unlimited budget. I didn't have anything other than that great thought. And so, you know, I went back to work and I, I thought about it sometimes, but um, the idea kind of went dormant for me until 2012 when I had made this, what was a big decision within my own life to shift my career and begin working for myself, that the idea resurfaced. That was a part of sort of how I moved into that work. I got involved with a, a group led by Jeffrey Davis, in which we supported one another, and he supported us as what he called business artists in crafting our best year ahead. And he invited some thought leaders in to give us these prompts to write to, and we held conversations with one another online. And I found myself writing a lot about the Department of Hope. It like came to life again in my mind, and I got a lot of encouragement and support to pursue that. So that's, that's sort of how it got started. Yeah. So how have Signs of Hope? I know you watch for Signs of Hope, and I know I feel hopeful when I see your Signs of Hope on Facebook. <laughs> how has the Signs of Hope been instrumental in your own life? Well, yes, I'm glad to hear that you feel hopeful when you see them, because that's the thought I had in, in creating that. Although initially, I would say that the thought was to help me, because I will be very honest and say that there are times when I find myself caught in a place of despair and I can be kind of anxiety prone. Now, being anxious, having a negative feeling like that, you know, has some positive functions, right? Like it keeps me alert to possible threats um, and I can take steps in response to them. But on the other hand, it's not necessarily a place where I want to get stuck. And sometimes you get yourself tied up and knocked over things that are never going to happen anyway. And the same thing about despair, you know, that it can be a place to rest for a while and help mm -hmm. yourself figure things out or absorb something that's happened to you. But you want a way to move forward. And I thought that one of the things I could do for myself to be able to see my way forward from those places is to remind myself that hope is always all around me. And so looking for signs of hope in an intentional way helps me keep that at the front of my mind. And um, yeah, so that's how they have helped me. I would say that noticing something that's really beautiful, often the signs of hope for me come from nature, which you mentioned to me when we were talking about this, this show, you know, noticing something beautiful, like a field of sunflowers, mm. kind of helps me reflect on what they mean for me as a sign of hope. Yes. On the beauty that lives in the world and renews itself continuously, even in challenging times. And other times, for me, a sign of hope has been a lifeline thrown to me in the midst of a crisis. So two years ago, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I was initially in this place of tremendous fear and uncertainty, which, you know, would be something that happens to anyone in a situation like that. And when I first told my husband about it, 
the very first words involved some swearing that I won't repeat here, but I will <laughs> say I found, <laughs> I did find that to be entirely appropriate. Um, and his next words were, we'll get through this. Everything yeah. will be okay. We'll get through this together. And of course we knew, we, we couldn't know for sure then what was ahead, but you know, I, I believe those words, that sign of hope that he held out to me. Yeah. And I calmed down. And I said to him, and I believed, yes, we will get through this. Everything will be okay. And you, know, you asked how this helped me. And I would say that was a calm center I could return to anytime mm. I found myself in turmoil as we moved through the ensuing months. Yeah, so an experiential touchstone that brought you back to your center. That's beautiful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than seeing those signs of hope and seeing them as a way to lift yourself, do you have ways you interact with them to strengthen your own hope? Well, there are some things I do. And one of them is you mentioned seeing my posts about them. Mm -hmm. Um, Posting them on social media and sharing them and using them to connect with others and perhaps offer signs of hope, particularly in a time when things around us, you know, are troubled. We've had some upheaval socially and politically in the past year and a half. And, you know, it can be hard to find hope during times like that, just as it can be hard to find hope during difficult personal times. So, you know, you come across a post with a photograph or a description of an uplifting experience, and you see those words, signs of hope, and you feel something. You know, mm-hmm. well, and then sometimes people post their own signs of hope, which I love. And, you know, it's a certain way of creating some community around this idea of strengthening hope in ourselves and others. So that's one thing is you can privately note your signs of hope, but you can also share them. And something about knowing you're helping build hope for others, build hope in mm. oneself, I find. Yes. Um, would say that, you know, just comparing what it might have been like before I sort of started learning about ways to strengthen hope in myself, but move through difficulties as we all do in our lives. I remember after my father's death, coping at that time by just withdrawing very deeply into myself in a way that felt like there was some kind of almost impenetrable cushion around me. You know, I still did the things I had to do, but I felt kind of isolated at the same time. And that went on for quite a while. And I remember one day, maybe eight or nine months into that process of grieving, one day while I was walking to work in downtown D.C. from the metro station, I saw this this beautiful flower garden from the sidewalk. And I I felt a burst of joy, a sensation I hadn't had in so many months. Mm. It felt as though it was lost to me, but it was there. And so that, if I had had this notion at the time, I would have called a sign of hope, both outwardly and inwardly. Yes. I just wanted to bring (laughs) in the expressive side of Mm -hmm. working with these signs of hope to keep them alive or to evolve them. And I know you do other things. So I wanted to just touch on those a little bit, and then we'll move into the next part of the interview. Absolutely. And so since that time, I've learned a lot about expressive writing and expressive arts, and they've become tools I use to build on those signs of hope or sometimes to discover them. 
in some ways, as difficult times can be really creative times because we need ways to process the difficult experiences and feelings. So that's one of the things I do. I might use an existing prompt or create one for myself and then allow myself to write openly and honestly about my thoughts and feelings about what is happening. You know, another great resource is something you don't need to be a great artist to do. I'm proof of that, but you can create collages as I've done and draw or paint or doodle and do things that let you sort of get those thoughts and feelings from inside yourself to outside where you see them in a whole new way. Yes. When I was grieving for my father's death back in my 20s, I found expressive art too. And it was a saving grace because I didn't have the life experiences that gave me any clue about how to deal with the emotions. And so in order to process them at all, I needed to express them in color and shapes and and textures. And then I could look at them and understand what I was feeling inside. So it's a powerful tool that just expressing what you're feeling inside, it could be a dream image, it could be an experience. And as you use it, it could be a sign of hope that you see and then use to take it deeper. So let's switch gears. And I wanted to learn a little bit more about the nuanced way that you see hope. I know you've spent a lot of time pondering this topic. And on your site, I noticed that you had a distinction between a small H hope and a capital H hope. Can you give us a, a short explanation of how you see those two coexisting? Yes, I can. And I think it's, um, It's something I have thought about quite a bit. We use the word hope in so many ways, and they're all meaningful and important. And so the small H hope is how we express our feelings and our wishes and maybe those things we hope to attain, those things we hope will happen that actually have a pretty good likelihood of occurring. And it's about the important connections and rhythms of our daily lives. You hear people saying things like, well, I hope to see you again soon or Oh, I hope you get that promotion. Uh, I hope that repair doesn't cost too much. You know, those are the things that we're living with on a day-to-day basis and that we have feelings of hope about and have desires about. And then there's big H hope. And big H is expressed with the words that we use to share our bigger visions for better lives in a better world. So we might say, I hope that our country can find a way to provide affordable health insurance for all. I hope that a solution can be found for global warming and climate change, or I hope to see an end to racial violence. So both small and big H hope connect us to one another and to ourselves. Wonderful. So the other thing I noticed in our conversation is you talk about the two worlds. So there's reality and then there's hope. And there's a balance between those two. And I thought that your distinctions there were really helpful as well. So tell us more about that dichotomy. Yeah, and in saying that, I'm thinking about the fact that our reality can include difficult experiences. It's not like every minute of every day is positive or that, we, you know, as we were talking about before, we all run into times that are very dark and difficult in our lives. That's the truth. And when we are willing to look at what's really happening, we are able then to have a reality-based hope also. So, you know, we cannot, on the one hand, admit to 
for example, a particular threatening situation in our life, like a health crisis, like the one I faced. And at the same time, be hopeful that because so much is known, because I have people around me to support me, because I have the resources I need, there's reason to be hopeful about the future. So there's not a denial of the difficulty, but there's an encompassing of it, and it's actually part of the basis for the hope. Yeah, I liked your phrase, reality-based hope. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. So when someone's struggling, how can they lift themselves out of struggle and connect with hope? And this is for change catalysts who are working with clients. How can they watch for ways to help their clients lift themselves out of the struggle and into Mm -hmm. hope? Mm -hmm. I think that there are a number of things we can do. I don't think there's one magic answer because lifting ourselves up out of a struggle can definitely take time. But I'll, I'll share some things that I have shared with others that I think are useful for anyone who's a change catalyst, because we ourselves, those who are helpers, encounter these same experiences, right? And it's always great to try out something before you offer it to someone else. So these are helpful for change catalysts themselves, as well as for those that they support. So one of those is seeking out signs of changes we discussed that when we train ourselves to do that, it's like a gratitude practice. We bring them into our awareness. They're meaningful. They remind us that hope continues to exist even in difficult times and writing about them privately is fine or creating your own art in relation to them is fine as well as if you wish posting them on social media or sharing them with a group you're a part of or with people you're in relationship with. Another is acknowledging and accepting negative feelings. You know, change catalysts working closely with others sometimes hear powerful, strong, difficult feelings, and that can be hard. So there may be some wish to protect the other from the difficulty involved there or to protect ourselves. And yet what can really be helpful is taking a minute to show that we hear and are present with the person expressing those feelings. And those feelings definitely can be useful. They help us prepare for a change coming up. Uh, alert us to the fact we need to slow down and reflect and take care of ourselves. And some of the ways you can do that is to comment on, I hear what you're saying, and it sounds like that's been really hard. Or even to ask the person to go a little further with what they said and say, tell me, you know, I have some thoughts about what that is like for you, but tell me what's the hardest thing about that. And then maybe even ask that again after they've responded. And, And what's the hardest thing about that for you so that you're there present and listening as people seek to understand and make meaning of what's happening. So that can be very helpful. It it sounds a little counterintuitive that exploring a difficult feeling leads to hope, but that's where people with your support can get. And then asking people to make a list. Maybe you could brainstorm with them if that's helpful to them, but list at least three ways that you build hope in yourself. We're resilient people and we do all kinds of things every day to build hope in ourselves, but we might not be aware of them. And then identify three ways in which you build hope for others. And if the person you're working with has trouble thinking of that, ask them what others have thanked them for. And that might help them identify those things Mm. and claim them as important. And then I'm going to say take care of your body. You know, help people take care of their bodies. 
And I say that because we know that our minds and bodies are one. I mean, our brain is part of our body and our mind is a creation of the brain. So when our body is flagging, it's tired or it's in pain or it's under-exercised or something is signaling that we need a professional to help us take care of those things because when our body's functioning well, our spirit and our mind are functioning well also. So those are just a few ideas. There are certainly many others, but um, I'd love to have people try them and let us know how they're doing with them. Yes. And I think the awareness piece, you know, it's so easy when you're in a sour place to just be totally there and not ever see a way out. And it's the building that resilience and that awareness to know that you can shift your energy, even just for a moment by looking at something in nature or reading something inspiring or talk to your coach, talking with a friend. There are ways to lift what you're feeling in the moment. So I love your pointers there for change catalysts to use for themselves, because when we're not doing well, then we can't do our best work. So that's definitely part of the mission of this show is to bring us tools we can use with ourselves as well as with our clients. So I know, Nancy, that you have a practice of pulling together gatherings for discussions of hope. And I wanted to hear more about that experience that you've had with that idea that you've created. Yes. And that was how I helped sort of get some momentum and move forward with this whole idea. So I called them Department of Hope Conversations and gathered up people. I've done this online and I've done this in person. And for me, one of the greatest things about these gatherings is the time I spent preparing to do this because that had me doing a lot of looking into how we define hope and reading what others have been writing about it. And I want to second what you said about how reading something inspiring is also a fantastic way to strengthen hope. And so doing, in doing that, I came up with a structure in which people first listen to some definitions of hope and something of the history of the word and how its meaning has evolved over time, and then respond with the thoughts that are elicited by that. And then go through, I have some guiding questions ready to keep the conversation moving. Most of the time I find it just takes off of its own momentum <laughs> from there. And what people say about it, I think they say it better than I could. So I'm going to use a couple of quotes. One person said, I'm amazed by the power of just presencing hope by talking about it as a group and inquiring into it through your set of questions. Hope lives in each of us. And when we talk about it, it begins to flow between us. And the same person also commented that the simple gift of convening and supporting hopeful conversations is huge in itself. And just one other comment from someone who attended uh, an in-person gathering. I never expected to have such an open and emotional discussion with a group of people I didn't even know. She was thrilled about it. <laughs> and so, you know, this kind of experience is what emerges when we think together about what hope is. And people say at the end that they feel their hope strengthened. They're ready to move forward being intentional about how they strengthen their own and others' hope. And for me, that's a fabulous outcome. I think, just think what the world would be like if we all did that. Exactly. For our days. Yeah. And I had one group get really interested in the idea of inviting a more diverse group with varied social and political and 
values and viewpoints and to see where we can find common ground across the, the areas where there might be divisions. And I thought, fabulous idea. That stayed at the idea level. However, it gave me a thought then of how this could be used to catalyze all kinds of actions, movements, and opportunities. So I think that there's wonderful potential in these. I've made that discussion guide that I developed together with, with James Porter available. And Carol will talk to you later to let you know how you can find that. Yeah, and I'll just pop in this link right here. So I'm gathering resources from each of my guests, and those will be at flourishasachangecatalyst.com forward slash radio. And I'll mention that again at the end of the show. So I just love the energy of relating with other people who are lifting, trying to lift the energy around them, not in a fake way, but in a reality-based way. And I I'm really excited about this way of having a discussion. I think it's very valuable right now. So the other thing that you and I discovered as we were talking about this show is the interface between my work with the Seasons of Change, which I'll describe in a moment, and your work with the Hope. And Nancy has gone through my training on the Seasons of Change. And the Seasons of Change is using nature's wisdom to navigate life's inevitable ups and downs. So the seasons and the nature's way of responding to the seasons shows us a very natural, incremental way to go through constant, incremental, and abrupt changes all at once. And I thought it would be interesting to talk about the seasons of change, which we'll tap into periodically in various shows, uh, but to talk about it very briefly about the purpose of each season and then Nancy is going to share how hope can show up in that season. So we start in summer. Summer, life is good. Things are going well. And then we begin to feel that there's a shift. The shift can be a dramatic shift or an internal change. But it gets you realizing that a shift is happening and life in the future may not be the same as it's been. So Nancy, how does hope show up at that point? In summer, I would say we're kind of living in a hopeful place and, and seeing the results of our efforts, and we're allowing ourselves to claim and celebrate those. And we know in summer that we have the strength and the knowledge we need to move through change cycles. So while we may start sensing that something is going to shift, we know we can do it. And then what about when the shift is happening and they enter fall? Well, as you enter fall, what I would say there is that can feel like a pretty unsettling time. The change may or may not be one you want. Even when it's one you want, a change can be unsettling. But here, you know, there can be a time when hope can falter a bit as you start seeing signs of what's coming. And you can strengthen hope during this time by encouraging yourself to face what is happening, paying attention to it, noticing it, allowing it into awareness, and then beginning to focus on the steps that you can take to help yourself navigate what may be yet to come. Mm -hmm. And then from fall, we move into early winter. And early winter is a time of retreating and reflecting and really searching for insights. It's a very internal time. You're 
you're heading into a bit of a hibernation. Yeah, and this is a time where people kind of can really wonder about, is hope really there when you're going into this very dark time when things are harsher? One of the things I have noticed, really every time I've engaged people in looking at the cycle of the seasons of change, is that being able to locate yourself on it and understand that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now is very hope-inspiring. So as you enter into winter and a time that might feel like one you'd just as soon avoid if you could, realizing that there's hope and allowing yourself to enter into this point in the transition, that you are prepared for the harsher conditions. Again, you used fall to help you get ready. And you're going to use this time for you to reflect, renew, and connect. And this is going to be a place you're going to spend some time, and then you're going to start moving forward. Yes. And and early winter is really a time of self-care. So Mm -hmm. I think self-care, taking care of your body, taking care of the inner parts of you is a really important phase of your journey through any kind of transition. And that in and of itself can propel you to feel more hope when you get enough sleep, when you are out moving or walking or just sitting in a beautiful place sometimes. You can find these little moments that can lift your spirits, even if you're feeling tired or the world is feeling heavy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are those Mm -hmm. moments. So from there, we move to the winter solstice. And this is a time of beginning to see the insights, to open up the vision of the new future. And often they will drop in as a ping, you know, oh, that's what I could do next. Or there are a series of incremental aha moments, but there's a lot of internal change as you open up to new ideas and new visions for yourself. And doesn't that sound like hope right there? You it know, does. I just feel like people, <laughs> people really recognize those glimmers and glimpses of insights, starting to see things differently and understand themselves in new ways as awakening hope. And seeing that, yes, I, I actually have moved to a new place now and I can Start seeing how this isn't going to be a place I'm in forever, but how it's a good place for me to be in right now. I get to ask myself new questions. I get to capture these insights. A certain energy begins building. So, yeah, I think that that's where hope is in, in, uh, in the winter solstice. And even though it's the darkest time of your journey, It's the sparks of hope, the sparks of new ideas that really begin to lift your your spirits and you begin to see your path forward. So from there, we move into late winter. And this is where you begin to develop a plan for your new vision. You're gathering information. You're putting pieces of your life in place to be able to move into this new phase. And that, too, has some hope. It really does because that's when you're starting to envision what you're moving toward. You start to be able to really shape a picture of it and prepare yourself for being able to take the actions that are going to get you there. So you're not rushing forward yet, but you know, part of hope is holding a clear vision. And you may be, due to this change, creating a vision for your life that's a little different from the one or maybe a lot different from the one that you were moving toward before. So you're allowing yourself to follow new opportunities and insights. You're starting to have fun with this. And this is a time when hope is really strengthening. I agree. I totally agree with that. 
So it's still underground. You're still working mm-hmm. within yourself. And then you move into spring. And spring is the time when you get back into the world. You get back into action. You take those new steps you've been planning. And you begin to experiment and find the way forward to implement the ideas you've had. And there's some discomfort in that because you're stepping into new roles. You're stepping into new situations. But in it all, there's a lot of energy that's moving you forward. You know, and as you describe that, Carol, I'm thinking about what Rebecca Solnit says in her book, Hope in the Dark, which is that action strengthens hope. I'm probably not using her exact words, but action strengthens hope and hope fuels action. Mm, Yes. They are both and. Both and are important. Yeah. Yeah. So as you're able to take action based on the insights you've been getting and all the work you've done through winter, you're further strengthening hope. And as you take those actions, you know, you're more and more able to move forward based on the strength of that hope. So I think the imagery we have and the metaphors we have in spring often are those that we turn to when we're creating images of hope. You think of images of flowers, plants blooming, think of butterflies and birds, you know, those are some of the images in nature that help us represent hope. And so I think this is a time when hope is gathering strength. I totally agree. And not to put too positive a spin on it, spring can be nerve wracking for people because it's so new that you may experience some discomfort, but use those signs of hope to bring about the the balance that allows you to move forward, even though things are feeling a little bit unnerving to you. So the last piece is summer again. So we're back to summer. And summer is all about growing into our harvest and then being able to reap the rewards of all that we've created during the entire cycle. So we started at summer and now we're swinging back through. We're at a different level. I think of all of this as an upward moving spiral, but we're back to that season that allows us to live a little more easily, to enjoy what we've created. And how does hope enter into this season? You know, when I think about that, I think about how allowing yourself to be in that moment, in that season, and recognize what you've accomplished Mm -hmm. to bring that into your sense of self so that you're strengthening inner signs of hope at that point. I am a person who did this. I accomplished these things to reflect on where you were and where you are now and how much you learned along the way for yourself and maybe how much you learned that you can share with others and really allowing yourself to take stock as carefully as You might take stock of something that didn't go well. This went well. Look at where you are. Take stock of all the things that helped you get here. And the other part of hope to me in summer is that, you know, we all know that um, none of these places along the cycle of change is a permanent spot. And that in this spiral, we're going to move again from summer one day. But look how much we've gained and how much we've learned through this change transition and how much we have to carry forward with us in terms of strength and ways of coping as we move forward into the next cycle. 
Yes. And I, and I have definitely seen that. When you've gone through one transition, might have been deep, but if you go through it consciously, then even if you find yourself in another cycle that's pretty intense, you know you've been through it once, so that gives you hope. And you have mm -hmm. the skills and strengths to rely on. You know what you do at the different seasons. And it's a really wonderful set of skills to have and knowledge to have, to know that you can tap into these metaphors of change, metaphors of the season, and that really helps you move forward. And I will put a link to the seasons of change on that page on my site for resources so that you can check that out. So Nancy, let's help listeners understand you and your work a little bit more. What is your primary work as a change catalyst? Well, what I do is take you from burning out to fired up. And so I really focus a lot of my work on people who might describe themselves as service-centered professionals and people who, because of their caring and the passion they bring to their work, maybe somewhat at risk for burning out and can use some help rekindling that passion and renewing themselves. So I offer individual coaching as well as workshops for groups on things like writing for resilience and an approach to expressive writing that involves six forms of writing to transform your health and write to heal. So those are some of the things I do now. And do you have any new exciting ventures up ahead? I think in my months ahead, I see myself as really building on those things and taking some of them to new audiences. So the Transform Your Health, Right to Heal, it looks like I'm going to have a wonderful opportunity to do that six-week course with a group of cancer survivors at an oh, area wow. hospital. So yeah, I just can't wait to do that. And one of the writing forms in Transform Your Health, Right to Heal is mindful writing. And that itself can stand on its own as a workshop that I'm looking forward to offering. So I'm very excited about doing more of that. One of the other things I do is offer reflective consultation, which is support to people in leadership roles in nonprofit organizations. And doing more of that work is very much on my radar for the coming months. And seeking opportunities to be published in ways that will help these ideas reach wider audiences. So those are the things coming up next. Beautiful. Well, I love the, the blending of the hope and also all this transformation work through the expressive writing and reflection. That's such powerful skills to learn for the people you work with, the change catalysts you work with. So what's the best way for listeners to learn more about your work? Well, since you'll be putting my website in, up uh, and made available to your listeners, I'd invite you to come visit, sign up for my subscriber's email which will keep you very up to date on what's happening with Keys to Change. Great. So just to put your website here, it's keystochange.net, and I will have a link on the resource page. And then tell us a little bit about the hashtags that you use so people can join in the fun of posting signs of hope. Well, if you would like to post signs of hope, I would be so delighted. And you could use 
Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever your favorite social media is, you can use it in your own blogging. And so you use the hashtag sign of hope or signs of hope, whichever fits in best with what you're saying. You can look for me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I post in, in those outlets and use the, those hashtags. So if you do a search with them, maybe we'll find each other. Or we can follow each other on those uh, outlets. Beautiful. So thank you, Nancy, for all you've shared with us today about signs of hope. I've really enjoyed our conversations preparing for the show and the show itself. And again, to explore the resources Nancy's providing, please visit my site at flourishasachangecatalyst.com slash radio. And I will have her link to her blog, to her site, as well as a couple of resources for you. And I want to thank you for listening and stay tuned for more ways to flourish as a change catalyst at the growing edge. You've been listening to Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge on InspiredNewsRadio.com with Carol McClelland Fields. Tune in regularly to hear more ways you can flourish as a change catalyst.